The following study is a Sunday morning lesson given by Pastor Brett Metter at Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. Welcome. We're glad you're with us online, live here at the 10 o'clock service at Athey Creek. Let's get to it. Uh, Wednesday night, Lord Willem will be right here, 7 o'clock, doing our Through the Bible study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And so that's what we're going to do today. We take a, a Sunday morning text from our upcoming Wednesday study. So turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 4. Isaiah, chapter 4. While you're turning there, um, uh, we have... I had to uh, wrestle a little bit with the Lord on whether or not to teach this. Um, you know, here we are in chapter 3 and 4 of the book of Isaiah... And it, it's, it was tempting just to say, yeah, let's, let's, let's do something else. Because this is perhaps one of the darkest, ugliest, one of them, uh, ugliest stories in the Bible. You might be saying, Brett, you know, why are you covering a, a story like this? The answer, keep reminding yourself through this teaching, is, well, Pastor Brett and Nathan Creek, they go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And one of the things we've learned over the years here at Athey Creek is where we're at in the Bible is where we're at in life. Uh, and um, I see sort of a, a parallel to the troubles we're in right now, uh, humanity uh, right now. 20% of the world is in lockdown uh, around the globe. Um, you know, in New York City, I, I read yesterday uh, on Drudge Report that there was, uh, um, you know, uh, people dying um, you know, uh, in New York at a, a more rapid rate. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really sad, about one an hour uh, yesterday. Um, so it starts to get kind of scary when those, those, uh, the death rate starts to rise on this uh, COVID-19 virus. And people are just generally worried, you know. And so initially you'll say, Brett, you shouldn't have, shouldn't have taught that section of Scripture. But I think you'll find that this Scripture actually does apply. And um, there is hope. Uh, that we have here. So let's, let's take a look. Let's read. It's, it's chapter 4, uh, verse 1 is our text for the day. It says in Isaiah 4, 1, In that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Once again, in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Um, what in the world is that verse about? Boy, Brett, you're right. You shouldn't have taught that scripture <laughs> for today. No, uh, what's going on here? Some of the single guys are like, well, that sounds like a great environment, man. You got seven women who really want to be married to this one guy. And man, uh, you know, they said they won't even eat his food. What could be better? They won't even uh, want to wear, go shopping and, you know, put, put it on the Visa card. Uh, this sounds like the perfect scenario. Uh, yeah, that's just when you take this single verse but you have to understand this is much, much worse than it looks at the surface. Now, you see, one of the things is you have to understand who are these women and why are they so desperate? Uh, why are they wanting this one man to take them in? And the idea is as, as, uh, to marry them. Um, and, uh, you know, they're all wanting him to take, uh, you know, take the name. Um, but what's going on here? Well, we're going to break this down, and I've got really four things that I want to uh, observe from this chapter, four things that are really important. First of all, a past situation, uh, a past situation. You see, Isaiah the prophet 
is talking about something that you and I, this stuff is so unfamiliar to us because our culture is so different. Um, And the past situation is pretty dire. Um, So what's going on? Isaiah the prophet, he's prophesying to the people of Israel saying, here's what's going to come down. There's going to be seven women who want to take on this guy's name and be married to him, but they're desperate. Why? What's going on? Well, that's where you have to jump into chapter 3. Now, one of the things scholars of the Bible agree on is sometimes the chapter breaks and the verse numbers aren't organized in the best way possible. Um, Don't forget the numbers of verses and chapters were added hundreds and hundreds of years after the Bible was given to us by the Lord. So those chapter verses and number breaks, sometimes they're not in the right place. Um, Most scholars agree that this chapter 4 verse 1 should be connected to chapter 3. It's almost like chapter 4, verse 1 should be chapter 3, verse 27. Uh, if you'd, and then verse 2 of chapter 4 should be the beginning of the next chapter. And the reason I say that is because people will read this and they don't connect why these women are trying to desperately get this man to take them. What's going on? Well, that's the, the, the past situation. You see, the children of Israel during the time of Isaiah were living in total rebellion. They were materialistic. Um, they were sinful. The women were living promiscuously and sort of um, wanting to have all kinds of gold and uh, jewelry. And they were also trying to entice men and seduce them. And the sexual promiscuity was rampant. Um, And it was a bad, sinful time of idolatry. They'd worship idols and do all this stuff. It was a bad time. And Isaiah was the prophet saying, you guys are messing up. And because of that, bad things are going to happen. So that's basically what chapter 3 and chapter 4 is about how bad things are going to happen. Uh, um, and, and, and so the past situation was that these women, they needed to have a man. Now you say, well, Brett, um, women don't need men. In Bible times, it was a different thing. Uh, in fact, there's five things that these women are actually hoping for. Um, and, but first we have to see how desperate they are. Let's back up. We'll look at this in entirely, uh, entirety on Wednesday night. But check out chapter 3. Let's back up a little bit. Um, it says in verse 5 of chapter 3, this is Isaiah telling the people, And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the old people, ancient, and the base against the honorable. Um, so the idea is people are going to treat each other really bad during these times. Uh, verse 11, look at this. It says, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. Man, you know, you're going to sow what you're going to reap, and, and it's going to go ill with everybody, Isaiah the prophet says. But then he focuses on these women. And these women are, you know, um, beautiful and decked out to the nines in Jerusalem. They're, they're, they're known for being beautiful. Um, but there's a, there's a problem. It says here in uh, verse 16, Moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks. Uh, that is walking with pri- you know, prideful necks sticking out. Um, and wanton eyes walking and mincing as they go and making the tinkling with their feet. Their jewelry is jingling as they're walking with jewelry around their ankles. Therefore, the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of their head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. Huh? What? The idea is these women who are trying to seduce men, they're going to have scabs on their heads, and they're going to have sexually transmitted diseases going rampant among them. 
and verse 18, in that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments around their feet and their calls um, and their round tires uh, like the moon. Boy, it sounds like a car. You got your round tires and you got your, uh, verse 19, chains and the bracelets and the mufflers. (laughs) These are descriptions of of things that women would wear to entice men and to be beautiful. And it was materialistic. It was, uh, it was vain. And uh, these women are really into it. The, the verse 20, the bonnets, the ornaments of the legs, the headbands, the tablets, the earrings, the rings, the nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel. Women would, you know, have a new outfit every day. Um, and the mantles and the wimples. What's a mantle and a wimple? Uh, <laughs> the wimple is um, sort of a version of a sort of a veil that a woman would wear. And we'll go into this stuff maybe in depth on Wednesday, all these uh, things like it goes on in verse 22, the crisping pins, the glasses, the fine linen, the hoods, and the veils. But so, so this is the Lord saying these women are going to have scabs on their head and they're going to be uh, diseased. But what else happens? Verse 24, and it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. If you could sort of picture them tightening the girdle and it popping open because <laughs> uh, they're bloated. Um, and um, instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth, not, not beautiful, you know, lace, but um, sackcloth is going to be what they'll wear. Um, and it says, instead of a, a burning, instead of beauty, your men shall fall by the sword and thy mighty in the war. And her gates shall lament and mourn, and be, uh, and she, being desolate, shall sit upon the ground. This is almost like a Job-like scenario, where Job, remember Job was all messed up? This is these, these, these women, because of their sexual sin, because of their promiscuity, because of their wicked sin and worshiping idols, they're stricken with disease, and they become bald-headed, bloated women who are... Um, uh, um, Diseased and, and they're just sitting in sackcloth, sitting on the ground. Like it's, it's, it's a pathetic sort of scene that we see here. So it's those women in chapter 4, verse 1, that are chasing after this one guy. Uh, and they're saying, marry us. Bald, bloated women sitting on the ground going, please marry us. And the guy's like, ah, run for your life. What's going on with this? And why are these women wanting this man to take them? Well, this is where culture is something that it was different in those days. And the culture was such that a woman without a man in those days, well, first of all, she, it, uh, it caused an identity problem. She lacked identity. Um, you know, uh, in Bible times, uh, and, and really, by the way, some of these things are still in the world today, wherever, um, you know, like Islam is still wor- uh, the, the worship of choice. Uh, women are treated like this, where, um, you know, currently, she, you know, she culturally, she'd be without any uh, um, help, and she would lack identity, almost as if she didn't even exist. Um, if her man was killed in battle, um, which says the men were all killed in battle, so there's all these women who are widowed and bloated and bald, and, like it's just this sad, pathetic scene, so they lacked identity. identity. Number two, genealogy, uh, fruitfulness. They couldn't have kids without a man. And in those days, a woman's worth was measured on how many kids she had. So identity, genealogy, but number three, safety. A woman, uh, in those days, there were men running around that were marauders and robbers and thieves, and they would, they would uh, just mess with people and oppress each other like we read earlier. 
And you would need, uh, if you were a woman in those days, you would need a man who was strong and with a sword to be sort of protected so that nobody would come and try to take advantage of you. Safety. But then fourthly, intimacy. Um, You'd want companionship. You don't want to be alone, especially when you're going through horrible things and disease and all this stuff. So they were wanting, uh, you know, uh, companionship and friendship. And then finally, authority. Without a man in the Bible times, she would have no authority. And she, you know, her word wasn't considered good. She wasn't trusted without a man. And that's just the way of the culture of that day. I'm not saying it's, it's good. It's actually horrifying. The whole thing's horrifying. So these bald, bloated, sick women, they needed, you know, these things, identity, um, genealogy or fruitfulness, safety. Uh, They needed, you know, intimacy and friendship and authority. So these seven women are pursuing this one man because the ratio is out of whack. There's too many uh, women for the men because the the wars have killed off all the men. And, And so that's the past situation. That's the, that's what Isaiah says. This is where we're headed as a culture, as a people group. You know, the prophet said, uh, because you're sinful and wicked, this is the scene, this is the scenario that we're about to see. And, and, uh, and, and then that brings us to the second point of the day that we want to look at. Not only the past situation, but now let's consider the prophetic implication. The prophetic implication. You see, when, when we see in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, in that day, that, that should be a sort of a signal to us that... Um, Isaiah is prophesying about future events. And as it turns out, this did, in fact, happen to the Jews. Shortly after Isaiah would prophesy this, during the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, things got way, way worse than they were even here. In fact, these same women would be under siege in Jerusalem and starving. Um, uh, And so starving were they. Well, let me just read you what Jeremiah 19.9 has to say about that time. The prophet Jeremiah says, And I will cause the mothers to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And they, the people, shall eat every one the flesh of his friend during the siege and straightness wherewith their enemies. In other words, um, there's going to be a siege around Jerusalem. And there was. And uh, it was during the time of the Assyrians. Remember Rabshakeh and Tiglath-Pileser and then ultimately Nebuchadnezzar. They would come and destroy Israel and Jerusalem and, the, and, the, and Judea. And um, during those times, the Lord was lifting his protection. Remember, God told him, if you keep my commandments and statutes and judgments, I will protect you. But if you do your own thing and live sinfully, then you're on your own. Good luck with that. And that's the situation Isaiah and Jeremiah would warn the people about, but they just totally blew it off. They said, no, nope, we're going to do what we want to do. And look at us. We're beautiful and we're wealthy. But look at where that leads. It leads to total depravity, total poverty, and yuckiness. Um, that's what's going on here with these seven brides. <laughs> what is it, Jan and Dean, you know, talking about two girls for every guy or something like that? But um, there are three girls. I don't remember the number, but here it's seven girls for every guy. And uh, it's not a pretty picture. So there's this prophetic implication. This is what's going to happen to Israel. And it did happen. Isaiah's word of prophecy came to pass completely. Now, that gives me pause because, you know, we have prophecies given to us in our day about things that will happen during our time period, you know. And, and um, one of those things we talked about last week is the Bible says that in the last days, you know, pestilence. And the word pestilence would be translated plague 
or disease. And, um, and that's, that does make me wonder, is the coronavirus a sign of the times? I think it is. Does it mean it's the end of the world? Not necessarily. But I do believe that the coronavirus is one of those birth pains the Bible talks about that we will see of Bible prophecy, how things are going to get worse before they get better. We're going to see uh, things that get uglier before the second coming of Christ. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. Now, um, so we've got this past situation, Isaiah, his day, and the people of Israel. You have the prophetic implication. You're going down, and this is what you're going to see. But that brings us to number three, uh, a possible illustration. And could this story be an illustration for you and me, the New Testament believer? And I believe that, that all these stories are illustrations of Jesus. Somehow we see Jesus. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Jesus took, talked to those men on the road to Emmaus and, 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 and told those two guys everything concerning himself from uh, Moses, the law, all the way through the prophets. And so, you know, these things are illustrations of New Testament truths. That's what makes the Old Testament come alive. You know, if you just read this uh, Isaiah chapter 3 and 4 by yourself and just leave it as just that one-dimensional story from Isaiah's time, it's an ugly, sad, horrific picture. But you and I get to look at it and, and sort of put it through the lens of the, the pictures of the Bible and, and what the Bible actually tells us. And I believe this is a picture of Jesus Christ and his church. And there's some lessons to be seen. It's a, it's a possible illustration for you and me. And let me, let me go through a few reasons why I see the illustration. Um, first of all, notice here in our story, there were seven women, seven women. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel's the wife of God. But if you recall, in the New Testament, the church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ. And when I see seven, that number is a number that sort of gives me an indication of the church of Jesus Christ. The number seven is completion and perfection in the New Testament, in the Bible, the whole Bible. But we also see the number seven linked to the church. Do you remember the seven churches of Asia Minor there in Revelation, you know, two and three, talking to the churches? Um, there were the seven candlesticks, uh, which speaks of the church of Jesus Christ. Um, so there's these seven women. I believe it's possible that these seven women might be an interesting picture of the church, which would make the one guy in this verse one of chapter four be Jesus himself. And the question is, will he accept us? Will he take us in, scabbed, bloated, diseased, sitting in the dirt with sackcloth um, and scabs on our heads, uh, bald? What, what does Christ do? Does he, does he take an ugly bride? Well, that's just it. We have to take a look at what these seven women are saying to this guy. They're saying, we won't eat your bread and we won't wear your clothes, but we'll just take your name only. That's what she says. That's what they say, these girls. We'll take your name only. Um, and so why are they saying that? A couple reasons. One, maybe they didn't want to eat his bread. Maybe they didn't want to wear his clothes. Um, and maybe they, they, they thought they could do it apart from that. Maybe they were so desperate they didn't want to bother him to be having to pay the bills for new clothes. And maybe they didn't want to bother him for bread. They just needed safety, identity. You know, um, uh, they needed, you know, that intimacy. All those things we went over. If they could at least be linked to him in name only, then maybe they would survive just uh, with a weak link to the bridegroom. Um, and that's kind of what we see here. These women are, 
are wanting not, not to take the whole relationship hook, line, and sinker, but they're just minimally saying, in name only, let's be married. We'll, we'll only be married to you in name only. Maybe they were so ashamed of their ugliness and their uh, baldness and bloatedness and all that. They're thinking, man, we understand why you wouldn't want to marry us, but just take us in name only. We won't even bother you for clothes or food. And so they wouldn't want to, you know, try to imposition, put this guy in a bad situation. But I wonder if this is a picture of the church, uh, which I believe it is, um, what does that mean for us? Well, this is the thing. If you want to be married to Christ, you've got to eat his food and you've got to wear his clothes. You can't just be linked to Christ in name only. That's not going to work. And there are people who do sort of link themselves to Christ only in name, not in truth. You know, there's people that were born in America, and because they're born in America, well, I'm a Christian. God bless America. Just like there's people that were born in, you know, Muslim countries, and they think they're Muslims because they were born in those countries. You're born into your religion. That's not true. Um, And you're only a Christian if you take on all of Jesus as your own. And you're truly the bride of Christ, not just in name only. Um, What do you mean wear his clothes and eat his bread? Well, Jesus, our bridegroom, one of the things he wants to do is feed us. He wants to feed us. If you're the bride of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're really saved, one of the things you'll do is you'll eat his bread. These women didn't want to eat his bread. You will eat his bread if you're a bride of Christ. And, And what's the bread? It's the bread of life. Jesus is the bread that we need to eat of. We know that. It's something that you cannot deny because, well, I mean, the scriptures are so clear on this one. Like John chapter 6. In John six forty seven, Jesus said this. Listen. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus died on the cross. And when he said, before he died, he said in communion, he said, take, eat, this bread is my body. And you got to eat this. Some of the disciples freaked out. The greater group of a hundred disciples said, he's talking about eating his flesh and eating his body. And they, they freaked out, thought he was being weird. But no, being sinful and refusing to eat of Christ, that's weird. That's where these women ended up being cannibals, eating their own sons and daughters. You see, as Christians, if you want to be a Christian, you got to eat his bread, the bread of life. There's no other way to have eternal life but through Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. You got to eat his bread. If you don't eat his bread, you're lost. Um, it's, I love where it says, if you eat of this bread, you'll have life everlasting. Um, the bread of life, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. Yes, we're the stinky, sinful, scabbed, bald, bloated bride sitting on the ground saying, will you marry us? And Jesus says, yes, but you got to eat my bread. And if you eat, you'll have life. Well, Brett, what if you are still wearing the sackcloth and you're, and you're all sick? Well, the bread of life, that's what heals you. It makes you healthy again as you eat of Christ. You're no longer sick in your disease and your sin, um, uh, but you're healed when you eat of Christ. But what about your clothes? Well, that's where you got to wear his clothes. What are his clothes? Your clothes and my clothes are the sinful, stinky sackcloth. 
like these women in our story. But when you accept Christ, you are, Isaiah 61.10 says, we are robed in his righteousness. Man, don't you love that image? You know, these, picture these dirty women sitting on the ground, stinking, saying, will you marry us? And, and the bridegroom comes up and puts a beautiful robe on his bride and says, I'll take you. And he covers the stench of sin and he covers and washes and cleanses and heals. That's the robe of righteousness, Isaiah 61, 10. You know, in Revel- uh, pardon me, Romans 13, it says, now it's high time to put off the clothing of darkness and put on the armor of light. And there in Romans 13, 16, it says, and um, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we as Christians, we don't wear the dirty old clothes. We get new clothes. And thus we're accepted and we're brought into the bridegroom and we're married to Christ and we're saved by his grace through faith. It's just goodness. It's his robing. It's not my being good. It's not me cleaning myself up. It's Christ who takes me in. The stinky seven brides of uh, Isaiah chapter 4. The Lord says, I want to robe you in righteousness and I want to wash you and cleanse you and let you be whole. Man, I love that. So, so you see this idea of you got to eat his bread, you got to wear his clothes, but there's, there's another thing about this name thing that's kind of interesting. Did you notice these girls, the bad girls of uh, Isaiah 3, um, they say, we don't want to eat your bread and we don't want to wear your clothes, but we'll take you in name only. God forbid that we as a church of Jesus Christ take him in name only. Um, what does that look like? Well, you know, if, if you and I believe that Jesus is the only way, you have to eat the bread. There are people that call themselves the church and call themselves Christians that don't believe Jesus is the only way. There are many paths, Oprah Winfrey says. You know, there's many ways to be saved. And, you know, and, and this whole new age, uh, which is an old lie um, that uh, people believe. And there's churches here in Portland that um, have horrible doctrine that doesn't really believe that Jesus is the only way. They think he's a way. That's just wrong. There's churches that are uh, linked to Christ in name only, but they don't eat his bread and they don't wear his clothes. And you should watch out for that because the future of that is not good. You got to eat his bread and wear his clothes. By the way, if you remember in Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, there's the church of Sardis that is uh, in uh, bad behavior. And Jesus says a word of correction to the church in Sardis. Let me read it to you. It's Revelation 3.1. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He's talking to the church of Sardis. He says, I know your works, that thou uh, hast a name, that thou livest, but you are dead. What's wrong with the church of Sardis? It's a dead church. Deader than a doornail. Have you ever been to a dead church? Have you ever seen a dead church? It's painful. And usually they're churches that don't eat his bread and don't wear his clothes. They don't have the right doctrine when it comes to what saves a person. And they don't really follow what the scriptures say. But they call themselves a church of Jesus Christ. But it's not that. Watch out for these false churches. Um, They're not part of the deal. Sardis had a, a name that they were of Christ. Now this is interesting. They had good works. Isn't it interesting that a tweaked out church can have good works? You know, there's, there's churches that call themselves, you know, like they're good and they're bark dusting the, the neighborhood school and they're feeding poor people, which is great, good stuff. They're even, you know, claiming to be diverse and loving of all people and accepting. 
but are they a church that only have good works, but they're, they're dead? There's no real life because Jesus is not the, the bridegroom, and they're not the bride. Interesting, that word name in, in uh, Revelation 3, 1, where it's talking to the church, it says you only have a name. The Greek word for that word name is onima. And the thing about that word onima, it's where we get our longer word denomination, denominationalism. Uh, and that's an interesting indictment against dead denomina- de- denominationalism, you know, where churches, we claim to be of Christ, but they really are not. They're deader than a doornail. How do you watch out for that? Well, you got to eat his bread and you got to wear his clothes. You got to be married to Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And to be married to Christ means to follow Christ and to do what Christ asks of us to do. And he wants us to eat and be saved. He wants us to be robed and be covered. Um, That's what Christ asks for us. Don't you love that what he requires of us is his goodness, his grace, his kindness, it's all there if somebody will accept it. But some people don't want all of Christ and they're going to miss out on Christ. You see, that's the problem. We see here, uh, point number three, a possible illustration of the church and of Jesus Christ. But then that brings us to number four and our final point of the morning. So you've, you've got, first of all, this past situation, the day of Isaiah. You've got a prophetic implication it's going to come down on these people, even as it will on us. And then number three, you have a possible illustration of the church and Jesus. But then number four, you have a personal application. And that is you and I, we are called to be the bride of Christ. If you're a Christian, we've been made ugly by our sin and there's a stench and a bloated baldness. That's us. We're that that ugly bride. But we're in a desperate situation. And you know what's interesting? Our need is the same as these seven women. Remember the the five things I went over? Identity, genealogy, safety, intimacy, and authority. Those are the same things you and I need. We need identity. Who are we? What what are we all about? And and one of the great things about being a real Jesus-following, Bible-believing Christian is we have identity in Christ. It's Acts, you know, chapter 17, verse 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Everything that we have is in Christ. Um, What about genealogy? Is our life fruitful? That's the thing we talked about. The woman wanted to be fruitful and childbearing. We as Christians, if we're linked to Christ, we will be fruitful. And you can see the fruit of being linked. As we abide in the vine, Jesus will see good fruit. John chapter 15. What about safety? We have safety in Christ. There's, there's safety. Boy, in these days of uncertainty, uh, people are longing for something that's stable. Jesus is exactly what the doctor ordered in these times of COVID-19 uh, to have safety in Christ. What about intimacy? Some of you are lonely right now because you're locked in and, you know, stuck in your house and you can't go anywhere. Um, let Christ be your friend. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Um, I love that Jesus is our friend, and, and, and there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We have companionship and intimacy with Christ. But then the authority, we get to move in authority because of Jesus. As Christians, we can believe things and know that they're true, and we can tell others with authority. Remember when Jesus spoke, he spoke as one having authority, not as the scribes and as the Pharisees. Um, we have authority in Christ. In fact, uh, in Second Corinthians 10, Verse 8, Paul said, For though I should boast somewhat, more of our authority 
which the Lord has given us for edification, not for your destruction, that I should not be ashamed. We have authority in Christ to build up and encourage and edify one another. That's what Paul says. The same things that these seven women lack, and they only want to be linked to the bridegroom in name, they're not going to get it. But those who do link to the bridegroom in clothing, what they wear and what they eat, the bread, and they are truly under his covering, they're going to have identity, genealogy, safety, intimacy, and authority. You know, it's interesting. There's some people that just aren't going to get this. Like these seven women, I don't think they're getting that he doesn't want to be with them. They're not willing to wear the clothes and eat the bread. Could it be that those churches, those people that think they're Jesus people, but they're really not, could they be the ones that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where it says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. In other words, eat your bread and drink, wear the clothes. You've got to do the will of God. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name we've done many many wonderful works. And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There are those that are not willing to eat his bread and not willing to wear his clothes that say, Lord, didn't we do a bunch of great stuff uh, in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, thou wicked servant, I never knew you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that clueless person that thinks they're linked to Jesus but are not. Um, Who is it that is going to be truly saved and linked to the bridegroom? It's the one who eats the bread, drinks the cup, and has their name written in the Lamb's book of life. That's where it's at. Um, Let me share with you one final verse of our text because um, this story doesn't end up all bad. There's a small remnant of people that Isaiah says... They're going to make it. Check it out. Um, right after he says, um, we'll not eat your bread, we'll not eat, wear your apparel, only let us be called by your name. Verse 2 of chapter 4 says, And in that day shall the branch of the Lord, now pause for a second, the branch of the Lord. The Lord there is all uh, caps, which means the Jehovah. So it's the branch of Jehovah. Who's the branch of Jehovah? The, the word is netzer in the Hebrew. I'll show you this on Wednesday night, but that's Jesus. The branch is a prophesying of the coming Messiah. So in verse 2, we have this beautiful uh, mention of Christ, the branch of the Lord. It says, In that day the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for, listen, for them that are escaped of Israel. There's going to be a small group of people that will escape for their lives and be saved. Some of these bald, bloated, sick, diseased women, they're going to want to have this guy, but they're not going to get it. But there's a small group. It says they're going to escape. And it says, verse 3, And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Do you see what's happening here? There's a small remnant of people as diseased and messed up as they were, that they're going to be saved and they're going to be called holy and their names are going to be written down. And they're going to be the ones who are going to make it. That's the person you and I want to be. We want to be the person who wears his clothes, eats his food, 
that we're robed in his righteousness, that we eat of the bread of life, and that we're married to him, not just in name only, uh, but in truth, being the bride of Christ, the church, and having our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Can I say this? You know, if you're not a Christian, the way you become a Christian is to repent of your sins and say, I'm a stinky, bald-headed, bloated sinner. (laughs) My sin is true, and the Lord is right and I repent. And repentance means to change your mind about that sin. And as you change your mind about the sin that you've committed, um, then, then what you do is you realize, I need to confess. Lord, forgive me of my sins. And, and then confess. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's what it says. So if you're there at home and you're wondering, am I a Christian? Am I, am I in my sin still? And, or am I just in name sort of playing the Jesus game? Or am I in truth the bride of Christ? You can make sure of that by um, accepting Jesus, believing, eating the bread, being robed in righteousness. How do you do that? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, man, what a glorious promise that is. So you can write where you're sitting if you truly repent of your sins. I'm a sinner. Doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're perfectly forgiven. I, I'm a sinner. And Lord, I confess that you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried, but then also that you rose up from the grave. That you had to believe that Jesus was more than just a man who died. He was a man who died and rose. If he didn't raise up from the grave, you and I couldn't believe what he said because he'd just be like a normal person. When Jesus rose from the grave, the whole world was turned upside down. And that's when people realized Jesus really is the Messiah. So you can be saved by saying, Lord, I I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave, and that I'm forgiven for all my sins. And And then, Lord, you do the rest. Give me that robe of righteousness. Wash me, cleanse me, heal me of the stench of the sin of my life. And you get to be written in the Lamb's book of life, the Bible says. Your name is there. And so when you go up to heaven, when you die someday, you will say, man, I'm here. And the Lord will say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Why? Because you're robed. Because you've been eating his bread, wearing his clothes. Man, that's what I would wish for all of you. Hey, if you've not done that, do it right now, right where you're sitting. Accept Christ. Believe. Confess your faith. If you need help with that, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get, get a phone call or an email, you know, at info at athecreek.com. We'd love to hear from you or tell us, hey, today I confessed Christ as my Savior and you're now the bride of Christ. Tell us if you did that. We'd love to hear from you. Um, also, we'd love to encourage you. If, you, if, you don't even, if you're a little foggy on how to do that and you're not sure you're doing it right, call up the church office. We'd love to talk with you on the phone. Uh, or we could even, you know, um, you know, FaceTime you or whatever. We'd love to connect with you that are just accepting Christ, even maybe right now. Um, I love that we have the answer. You know, in these dark, uncertain times of coronavirus, COVID-19, um, with, you know, sickness and, and disease around the world, um, a lot of people are pretty depressed right now. And if your life is all about your jewelry and your nose ring and being happy and healthy and fun and all that, it does seem like we need to understand those things can all come to an end like that. We see it right now. You know, the big spring break partiers there on, in uh, Panama City were down there, you know, busting a move on the beach and acting like nothing was happening. 
but now they're showing that kids are getting sick just as much as, uh, you know, like teenagers and millennials and Gen Z are getting sick just as much as the old people. Um, and, um, you know, we, instead of just uh, trying to survive this world and all the bad stuff that's going on, wouldn't it be better for us just to link ourselves to Christ? Then, no matter how bad it gets here, we, we can put our trust in him. We can put our faith in him. We can find our comfort in him and our protection with him. You know, like, like all these things that these seven brides were looking for, we find in Christ. So, man, go to Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Would you pray with me as we close the service? And Lord, we are so thankful that you choose a, a bride that's pretty flawed, pretty messed up, pretty sinful, and, and you robe us in righteousness, you wash us, and you cleanse us, and you, you, you present to yourself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Lord, you're the one who does that. You're the one who pulled us out of the miry clay. You're the one who pulled us out of sickness and death and disease. So, Lord, we put our hope in you. Forgive us where we put our trust in men or material goods or our our financial portfolio or whatever we were trusting in two weeks ago. Lord, where we find ourselves a bit shaken this week, may we put our trust in you. Be with your church, Lord. I pray that our lights would shine during this time, that others might know you and hear of you. I pray that there'd be a calm on your church, that we would have a quiet confidence, Lord, in you. Just bless your people, Lord, I pray. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the hope of heaven that we have. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. We encourage you to take advantage of our media ministry by visiting us at athecreek.com anytime. There we have all of Pastor Brett's Bible studies available as a free download.